Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning, continuing in our series on I Will Honor God, the title of the message this morning is A Vessel of Honor, as we preach out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Please enjoy. Alrighty, take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Going through a Sunday morning series entitled, I Will Honor God. The Bible has a lot to say about honoring God. A lot to say, and that's why this, uh, this, we've been going through what the Bible has to say about honoring God through this series. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor. So if you have your place in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you'll indulge me one last time, I'm going to ask you to stand and respect and reverence the word of God. We'll read our scripture and then we'll sit back down. We're going to begin reading this morning in verse number 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about the words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, and needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some." Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Subject of this morning, a vessel of honor. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as once again we open up the Word of God, Lord, and we begin to dig into your Word and see what you've told us and see what you'd say to us, Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds and our spirits to receive the word of God this morning, clear our minds of everything going on in our life and help us to just focus on what the word of God is telling us this morning. Be with our service. Thank you for our country. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, as we consider what it means to honor God, we're gonna look at what takes place within the church which makes up the visible body of Christ on earth. Now, Paul uses the illustration here of a great house to help us understand the church. And here in 2 Timothy, we're talking about vessels inside this great house. So there are some vessels in this house that have honor, and there are some vessels in this house that do not have honor. Those are the ones I want to know about because if I, am a, if I am a vessel of dishonor, I want to know about it because if I don't have any honor in my vessel, I need to know about it. I need to fix it. I need to get it right. 
I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. I want to be a vessel of honor. So I've got a lot of information to give you today, so I'm going to jump right into my message. I'm going to be throwing a lot of scripture at you. You don't have to turn to every single verse that I call out. If you're a note taker, you can write the reference down and go look at it later. I will be reading the verses to you. So we're going to begin by looking at the different types of vessels that Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy. So my first point this morning is the types of vessels. The types of vessels. This is in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some the honor and some the dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So Paul, in this illustration, he, he's trying to help us understand the reality of the church. Now, in the New Testament, the word church is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, it literally means a called out assembly. Now, we're going to circle back to that in just a minute. So he calls the church, he calls the ecclesia, the called out assembly, he calls it a great house. In this great house are two shelves. One shelf has vessels of gold, vessels of silver, the other shelf has vessels of wood, vessels of earth. Some of these vessels are to honor. Some of these vessels are to dishonor. Some of these vessels are clean by fire. Some of these vessels are destroyed by fire. I don't want to be a vessel that can be destroyed by the fire of a trial. I want to be the kind of vessel that's purged or cleaned and made pure by the fire of a trial. I also don't want to be a vessel that could potentially bring corruption into the great house. I don't want to be that kind of vessel. So before we talk about the vessels, we need to talk about the house. We need to talk about what Paul calls the great house. Why does he call this house great? Why does he do that? Well, I've always wanted to go to the Delta. I've always wanted to see those big mansions out there, those big plantation houses. I've always wanted to take a tour of one because they're just so beautiful. And I'd like to do that one day. Why does God call his church a great house? I'm going to give you some truths that make the house of God great. I've got 10 truths this morning, 10 truths of why the house of God is great, is a great house. Number one this morning, it's purchased. It's purchased. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church belongs to God. Why? Because he paid for it. He paid for it. He paid for it with his own blood. People don't belong to the pastor. People belong to the Lord. Okay? I am an under-shepherd, but he is the great shepherd. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. So as an under-shepherd, what's my charge in this? What's my job here? 
As an under-shepherd, just like any good shepherd, my first job is to feed you, and my second job is to protect you. Because that is what a shepherd's job is. So first, you know, I feed you, and then second, protect you. You know, sometimes it's easier for a pastor to deal with wolves that come in from the outside. It's easier to deal with those wolves than wolves that are on the inside in sheep's clothing. Those wolves are a lot harder to deal with from the inside. So we've all been in churches before where we think, man, this person is just so good and this person's a sheep. And then one day something happens and they rip off the sheep's clothes and it's actually a wolf the whole time. We've all been in churches like that. That is something that we are dealing with in our churches today. But when you attack the church, you're not attacking the pastor. You're not attacking me. I didn't pay for it. I didn't pay for this church. Jesus paid for this church. He bought this church with his own blood. It is purchased by him. He owns it. That's why it's a great house. Number two, it's built by God. It's built by God. Acts 2.47, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such should be saved. Who added to the church? The Lord added to the church. This is God's prescription for church growth. The Lord has to be the one that does the adding. It can't be done any other way. And if it's done any other way, it will fail. Brother Brett, does that mean that any church that goes out there and gets themselves a large crowd, does that mean that God has built that church? No, not at all. You see, a church that preaches the whole counsel of God, then the Lord adds to that church. But when you take this Bible and you cherry pick only the fun stuff and you cherry pick only the encouraging stuff, and you leave out the controversial stuff, and you leave out the subjects on sin, and you leave out this, and you leave out that, and you only, only preach stuff that you can smile and show your pearly whites with, and you just, you know, you, you preach stuff like that, and you do it only so you can get a crowd, that's not addition by the Lord, that's addition by man. That's not addition by the Lord, that's addition by man, and there is a difference. Any church that cherry picks from this Bible in order to uh, appeal to more people, they may grow in number, but their church is a failure. Their church is a failure. The church is built by God and not man. Jesus and all of his word cover to cover gets the credit for it. Or it is a failure. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how many times you fill the Astrodome on Sunday. If you don't preach the whole counsel of God, your church is a failure. Number three, it's served by its members. It's served by its members. Romans 16, 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Centuria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in, what's, in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many and of, my, uh, and of myself also. So this Phoebe woman, this is a Gentile woman, and she, appear, she was in the church. 
She was apparently on her way to Rome. And what Paul did in this letter is he vouched for her. Reason for that is because there are people back then who would look to take advantage of the generosity of the church. That, and that's not just back then, that's today. People try to take advantage of the generosity of, of, of the church. But you know what? There's also a very good chance that this lady, Phoebe, she was the one who actually delivered this letter for Paul to Rome. There's a good chance she is the one that took the letter to Rome and delivered it for Paul. She had a position in the church as a servant. And in that position, Paul gave her one of the most best compliments. I know that, that English isn't correct, but he gave her one of the best compliments that he could give someone in that position. He called her a succorer, which, which that is a fancy way of saying she is a helper. She was a helper. He didn't say she was, I mean, I tell you what, I, I, I want people to say that about me in this church, that I'm a helper. He didn't say that she was a leader. He didn't say that she was a director. He didn't say that she was a manager. She said she is a helper. Man, may we not look for position. May we not look for, for people to look at us. May we not look for attention. May we not look for the pastor to get up on Sunday morning and say our name from the pulpit and thank us for everything that we did. May we be a helper. And it doesn't matter if my name is called out. It doesn't matter if I never get any attention for it. It doesn't matter if my name is never mentioned. If I never get my name on a pew, it's okay. I just want to be a helper. That's the kind of people we need. And that's the kind of people that serve the church. I don't want to be a director. Don't call me a leader. Don't call me a director. Don't call me any of that. I just want to be a helper. We have deacons in this church just because the Bible tells us we should have deacons. But really, they're like, I don't have to have that name. I just want to be a helper. You know, that's the attitude we need in our churches. Number four, it's set apart by Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. The word ecclesia for the Gentiles, it just meant assembly. They could say, I'm going to church, and what that meant was they're going to a ball game. Okay, it was just the word for assembly, but call, but Paul calls it here church of God. It's different. It's different. It's not just your regular assemble, assembly. It, it's different than that. It's not your regular everyday assembly. It's set apart as God's assembly. You see, these church members were different. This assembly was different. These church members were different than the thousands of pagans around them. They were separated from them. They didn't just profess to be different. They were different. And you know what that difference was? It was Jesus. Jesus was the difference. Okay? It was by His authority. It was by His power. It was by His Spirit that they had separated themselves from the mass of pagans around them and then devoted themselves to God. There's a reason 
why the world can't understand why we preach this whole book and believe it cover to cover. Every single world word. The world can't understand that. Why? Because we are called to be different. We're called to be different. There's a reason why the world comes to us and says, why don't you just get with the times? Why you got to be so old fashioned? Don't you understand the times are cha- the times they were changing? Don't you understand that? Why don't you just jump on board with our worldview and leave that old-fashioned way of thinking in the past? Let it die? Come into the new century? I can't do that. I'm called to be different. And that's what this book does. It sets me apart. It makes me different. That's why this isn't just a regular everyday assembly. That's why this isn't just like, you know, going to a ball game here. This is the church of God. This is an ecclesia. This is not only assembly, it's a call-out assembly. It's important. It's essential. We love using that word. Number five. It is the means by which Christ receives glory. It is the means by which Christ receives glory. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. God is to be glorified in this world. So what is the instrument through which God is glorified. What is the instrument through which that glory is given to the world? Is it the individual? Well, the Bible doesn't say, unto him be glory in my soul. My little soul isn't big enough. Does it say in the family? No. Does it say by a man-made organization? Does it say a city, a nation? None of those. The only thing big enough to give glory to God is his church. So when you miss out on church, you miss out on the avenue through which God gets glory. He gets his glory through the church. And you thought church wasn't important. It is because it's the instrument through which God receives his glory. Now, I'm, let's talk for a second about parachurch organization. Now, you might not know what that is. A parachurch organization is an organization that is a Christian organization. They do good for the Lord, for spreading the gospel. However, a parachurch organization is an organization that's outside of a local New Testament church. They're a standalone organization. I am not against parachurch organizations. I just say I'm not a fan of them. Because I believe every organization that does work for the Lord should be under the umbrella of a local New Testament church because the church is how God gets his glory. Okay, so I'm not against parachurch organizations, but really, you know, any organization that does good for God needs to be under a church. Number six, it is subject to Christ. It is subject to Christ. Ephesians 5, 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So take a break, wives. I'm not going to talk to y'all on this verse. I'm going to just talk about the first part, okay? So you get a little break here, okay? Simply put, I am under his authority. 
Why do I obey the government? I only obey the government because Jesus told me to. That's it. I'm really, I'm not under the government's law. I'm under Jesus. But Jesus told me to obey the law. So the only reason why I obey the government because Jesus told me to. But if those laws ever contradict this book, I choose this book over the law. I choose this book. I don't answer to the governor. I answer to Jesus. Which brings up a new Pandora box here that I have to talk about because I'm your pastor. This pandemic thing, it's new to us. It's brand new. Okay, none of us have ever lived through anything like this before. They said the swine flu was a pandemic. The swine flu didn't affect my life. Not one bit. Okay, it didn't. This is different. It's one thing to say, okay, we need to shut down for a few weeks because the virus is spreading rapidly, but we're still going to be on Facebook. We're still going to. That's one thing. We did that a few weeks ago. It's another thing to say. You can go to a it's okay for you to go to a protest and some government leaders are actually calling for riots. It's okay for you to go to a protest and pack into a big area where hundreds and hundreds of people are. That's okay, but you can't go to church. Oh, 50 percent the capacity. It's one thing to say. All right, here's the thing. They could say, okay, you can go to a grocery store parking lot that's chock full of people actually getting out of their cars. But in some places, if you go to a drive-in service, you'll get fined $500. That's not right. It's not. Now, let's talk about masks. This is a hot topic right now. I can't shy away from controversial subjects just because they're controversial. The Bible won't let me do that. All I can do is do my best to take the information, filter it through this book, and give it to you. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. Here's the question. Can the government make me wear a mask? Well, some people believe that masks help. Others actually believe it does more harm to good, harm than good. So what am I saying to you? Here's what I, all I'm saying is this. Number one, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. This church will not look down on anybody and shouldn't look down on anybody that wants to wear a mask. You want to wear a mask in here? Bless God, you do it. But don't look down on people who don't. Next. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear one. But don't look down on people who do. Okay? Just because they wear a mask doesn't necessarily mean they've given in to fear. They could be doing it for other people's benefit and not their own. They could have underlying conditions you don't know. Now, number three, it's one thing for the government to ask me, please wear a mask. It's another thing for them to make me. This isn't communist China. This is America. 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 Okay? This isn't communist China. I still have a choice. If you want to ask me, then ask me. But you want to say, we're going to make you? There are going to be people not wear it just because you said, I'm going to make you. 
Now, here's another thing. Here's another thing I'm seeing, too. If it's private property, like if it's its own little store, its own grocery store, if a private property, privately owned business, requires you to wear a mask inside, don't force your way through the front door and pick a fight with the guy that tries to throw you out. Seen that too many times on social media. Either wear a mask or shop somewhere else. We went to PJ's Coffee the other day. I was getting gas. She, she says, I'm going to go get coffee. So I'm pumping the gas. And she starts walking back to the car and looking like she just robbed a train. Because she's got a handkerchief. I didn't see her put it on. I said, what's going on? I said, you can't go in unless you have a mask. Look, either put on a mask or go shop somewhere else. It's that simple. Okay? And, uh, but at the end of the day, taking precaution is one thing. But I am subject ultimately to Christ and to Christ alone. Number seven, it is the church is the object of Christ's loving and costly sacrifice. The church is the object of Christ's loving and costly sacrifice. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ paid such a high price for us. Y'all know me. I've said this several times. I don't try new stuff in a restaurant. Because if I go in there and I buy something new and I pay my money for it and I don't like it, I feel like I just wasted my money. So I get the same thing every time I go into a restaurant. Hey, uh, Olive Garden, tour Italy. Uh, uh, Over here, seafood platter. You know, that's just what I'm going to get. Now, because I don't want now, she can order something new and I'll taste hers. And if I like it, I'll add it to my repertoire. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll add it to what to to what I order. But I'm not going to go in somebody because I hate wasting my money because wasting money isn't fun, is it? It is not fun. Christ gave all he had to this church because it was that valuable to him. That's why it's a great house. Because it was so valuable to him. Number eight, it is the visible body of Christ on earth. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Colossians 1.24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is behind of my afflictions of Christ in my flesh. For his body's sake, which is the church. Some people say, where is Jesus today? If Jesus is around, where is he? I can't see him. Where is Jesus? You want to know where Jesus is? You want me to point Jesus out to you? Look around. Look around. Because the body of Christ is the church. Okay? The body of Christ is the church. All the things that Jesus' human body did on the earth 2,000 years ago... His body today does those things. The church. The church is his visible body. He is the head. His body is the church. Number nine, it is the pillar and ground of the truth. First Timothy 3.15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church. The, the church has been entrusted with the truth. It maintains the truth. It defends the truth. It proclaims the truth. Now the word ground, it means foundation. 
Okay, the truth rests on the foundation. If I was to go out there on the front porch of this church and pull those pillars out from under the front porch of the church, oh, what's it going to happen? It's going to crumble down. It's going to fall down because those pillars are holding it up. But that's what the, that's what the church does to the truth. The church lifts up the truth and shows it to the world. I'm holding up the truth. And guess what? If the truth will never pass away, what does that say about the pillar that's holding it up? It'll never pass away either. And then number 10, it is provisioned. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow this is all about the church may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love you know why the church is so great the church is so great because the church is provisioned by God the church is supplied by God. Where do we get our power from? Where do we get our strength from? Where do we get all the things that we need? Our perseverance, our discretion, our Holy Spirit, our power of God, the Bible that we teach, the truths of God that we speak. Where do we get them from? We get them from Jesus. And that's why our house is great. This is the great house that Paul is referencing. And what do I want to be in that great house? In that great house, I don't want to be a vessel of wood. I don't want to be a vessel of earth. I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. I want to be a vessel of honor because it's a great house. I don't want to dishonor that house. I don't want to bring corruption into that house. I don't want to fail in that house. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be used. I want to be useful. 2 Timothy 2.20 But in this great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some the honor and some the dishonor. What does this mean? That means that some vessels in here are genuinely part of the church and some aren't. And some aren't. And I say church not only here, but in the broader sense of, of, of Jesus' church. Okay? 2 Timothy 2.16 and 17 is an example of some people who were vessels of dishonor. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase in a more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a tanker, canker, of whom, is of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. So these are men in the church whose their only purpose is to sow dissension. They were vessels of dishonor, and they sowed dissension, and they sowed false doctrine, and God forever calls out their names here. So Paul's got to deal with this. Paul has to deal with these vessels of honor and these vessels of dishonor. 
What are you going to do? How do you deal with this? How do you know what kind of vessel you are? Once you find out what vessel you are, what do you do next? Well, Jesus addressed this very thing during his earthly ministry. Let me read for you Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of the heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence uh, then hath it tares? And he said, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then we go out and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barns. Let me tell you something. Not all who claim to be in Christ are really in Christ. Not, no, that's it's, it's not how it is. But all who do belong to him will never be taken from him. And also, true, genuine believers, they will follow Christ in discipleship and they will live lives that are pleasing to him. So let's get into number two. I got this great house. There are two types of vessels in this house. There's a vessel of honor. There's a vessel of dishonor. How do I know what vessel I am? How do I know? Am I a vessel of honor? Am I a vessel of dishonor? How do I know? Well, then there's tests. That's the second point. Tests of the vessels. Tests of the vessels. Let me give you these tests this morning. First, we have the test of knowledge. The test of, well, the test of knowing. I mean, the test of knowing Christ knows who are his second of uh, second Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There are those in the church who would continue a, their, a destructive ministry just there to sow dissension. You know what? The Lord knoweth them that are his. If profane and vain babblings sweep through the church like a cancer, guess what? The Lord knoweth them that are His. If the faith of some are overthrown and some are led, led straight away from the truth, let's just know that the Lord knoweth them that are His. What am I saying to you? Though Jesus is not up in heaven wondering and worrying about who's saved in here and who's not. He already knows. You might can fool the people sitting around you. You might even try to fool yourself, but you can't fool him. You can't fool Jesus. He knows. So who knows? Jesus knows. Number two, believers can know they are Christ's. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. You know, some people assume that they're Christians when they're really not. Uh, the reason why that is is because they've never examined themselves. They, if you truly examine yourself, you will know whether you belong to Christ or not. You will know that. 
You know, we love examining and testing others. Oh, we love pointing a finger and examining and testing other people, but we don't like examining ourselves. Maybe we don't like what we'll find. But what is this test? What is this exam that we can take to know what type of vessel we are? What, what, what does it consist of? Well, it's in the verse that Jesus is in you. That's the test. Is Jesus in you? Look, we're not looking for perfection here. All we're looking for is some real evidence that Jesus is in your life. So first, I examine. I take a good, long, hard look at my life. Do I see evidence of Jesus in my life? Did I make a profession of faith? Or uh, did someone make it for me when I was young? Was I sincere when I confessed Christ to be Lord? Or was I just doing it for lip service for somebody else? So first we examine and we test. But then second, we prove. We prove it. We watched a show last night on the History Channel. It was called Forge by Fire. Pretty interesting show. They get on there and they get these blacksmiths in there and they make these, these, these swords and these knives and they make them and you can try to win $10,000 and they, they, you know, cut pig carcasses and they had me when they cut the pig carcass in half. Okay. They had me. Okay. And so, uh, you know, they, they do this kind of thing and then he's like, this sword will kill. Okay, it's a pretty interesting show. And so, but what they do is they make these knives and they just don't just ooh, ooh, and ah, and look at them. They prove them. They prove them. They take the sword, they take the knife, and they cut stuff with it. And they punch stuff with it. And they hit, uh, hit uh, helmets with it. And they chop trees with it. And they, they look at it. They actually prove it. They cut and stab things with it. Have you proved your Christianity? Have you proved it? Have you ever taken your Christianity out for a test run to see if it's real or not? Have you prayed and gotten an answer? Have you witnessed and won a soul to Christ? Have you proved your Christianity? Or are you just assuming it's there? Next, we have the test of growing. The test of growing. 1 Peter 2 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Why do you feed babies milk? Because milk is predigested. It's easier for the tummies. It's predigested food. It's easier for their stomachs. Last night we went to our friend, our friend Sarah and Eric and Sarah's house in Walker. We had a pretty good fourth. They just had a little baby. His name is Cooper. Really, really cute, cute baby. But what is he being fed? He's being fed milk. You know, babies can't do a lot. Uh, babies aren't mature. They can't speak well. They don't know a whole lot. A lot of babies can't even sit up. There are many things that babies cannot do. But you know what every baby can do? What every true baby can do? Some they don't have to be told to do, they just do it. Desire milk. They don't have to be told to desire milk. They just desire it. If you don't desire the milk of this word, then you need to examine yourself. You need to prove yourself. Because true babes in Christ 
desire the milk. They don't have to be told to desire it. They don't have to be told that you need the preaching and teaching of the word of God. They don't have to be told that, that they, you have to desire this. They just desire it. It's in them. It's a thirst and they can't get rid of it. The only thing that can quench it is the word of God. But you know what? I'm a full grown man. You know what I like? I like nothing more than a tall, ice cold glass of milk this high. I love it, especially with a hot cherry Pop-Tart. And what I'll do is I'll eat the Pop-Tarts really quick and not touch the milk. And as soon as I get all the cherry Pop-Tart down, I'll take the milk and I'll just chug, 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 chug. I love milk that much. Any Christian, no matter how mature you are, should never get tired of the simple truths of the Word of God. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 30 years when a preacher gets up and preaches on salvation. It doesn't matter that you've been saved for 30 years. You love it. Because the simple truths of the Word of God, you never get tired of. Next is the test of showing. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know what the purpose of light is? The purpose of light is to expose what's this, to illuminate and to expose what's there. So, uh, uh, therefore, light must be exposed before it's of any use. If you take light and you hide it under a basket, guess what? The, it, the light's useless then. It's no longer useful. The vessel of honor should not hide their Christianity in order to fit into the world, although some do. I am convinced that there is such a thing as a carnal Christian because the Bible, the Bible wouldn't say they're carnal Christians if there wasn't. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hereto ye are not able to bear it, neither yet are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men. You know what Paul says about these carnal Christians? These are Christians. They become babes in Christ. And they stop growing. Growing as a Christian is different than growing in real life. We didn't do anything, and one day Colin was taller than his mama. Of course, that didn't take a whole lot. She's short, okay? But we didn't have to do anything other than feed him a few hot dogs for that to happen. You know, it, it, it was going to happen. Yeah, he should turn into a chicken nugget. Um, that was just going to happen on its own. For a Christian, though, growth takes work takes effort. And these carnal Christians are babes in Christ that never grew. By this time, they should be a lot further down the line than they are. That's what a carnal Christian is. And that you can't be a vessel of honor and be a carnal Christian. Number three. Okay, so first, we got the great house. Man, this is an awesome house. I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor in this house. I want to be a useful vessel of honor. How do I do that? Well, I test myself. I go through the tests. Okay, I've tested myself. Okay, I passed the tests. Now I'm a vessel of honor. What's my next step? 
What are the job? What is the job of a vessel of honor? Number three this morning is we have the task of the vessels, the task of the vessels. Number one, task one. If you are a vessel of honor, this is your task. Number one, study the right word. Study the right word. Second Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I know that this, this, this epistle, Timothy, it's, it's to a pastor. It's a pastoral epistle. It's to a pastor. Uh, Timothy was a senior pastor at the church of Ephesus. This is to him. But even though it's to a pastor, it's for all of us. These truths are for all of us. Timothy had to know what words to say and what word not to say. He had to know what the word of God did say and what the word of God didn't say. He had to understand how it was to be understood and how it was to not be understood. You can't, if, if you can rightly divide the word, then you can wrongly divide the word. And knowing what the Bible doesn't say is just as important as knowing what it does. I've gotten, uh, uh, I, I've taught on cults in the past and I've had people uh, uh, say that that's not right. We shouldn't teach on cults. But you know what? You need to know what the Bible doesn't say. It's just as important as what the Bible says. We need to rightly divide the word of God. Number two, the second task of a vessel is to shun the wrong word. 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 18, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase on the more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. The word shun, it means to turn oneself around or to avoid something. And this, is, this refers to anything that takes your focus off the gospel. If the, if the focus is put on a man, that's wrong. If the focus is put on a man-made organization, that's wrong. If the focus is put on a man's opinion, that's wrong. If the focus is put on the man-made music program, then it's wrong. Then it's vain. Then it's profane. Hymenaeus and Philetus were mentioned several times in Scripture. They were false teachers in the church. They were leading people astray. People weren't getting saved because of these guys. Their doctrine was way off. They were teaching like the resurrection had already happened and there wouldn't be any more resurrections. Their doctrine was way off. But really, their only purpose was to sow dissension in the church. They were vessels of dishonor. Paul had to fix it. Number three, you know what your job as a vessel is? To flee. To flee. 2 Timothy 2.2, flee also youthful lusts. I want to read you a couple quotes from Charles Spurgeon. In contending with certain sins, there remains no mode of victory but flight. The wings of a dove may be of more use to me today than the jaws of a lion. Let me say this, Christian. You are not going to conquer every single sin. You're not going to conquer every single one. I'm going to use alcoholism as an example, but insert whatever sin you want to insert. Okay? Some people can put the liquor down and never think twice about it again. 
Other people can't. Other people can't. Their only choice is to run from it because they can't stand up to it. And don't get discouraged. That's okay. That is okay. You know what? Uh, uh, If there's a sin in your life you can't stand up to, don't quit. It's normal. It's called being human. Maybe you're supposed to run from it instead. The Bible does say that any temptation that comes against us, he will give us an escape. Some ex-drunks can drive past the bar room on the way home from work and never look at it. Other ex-drunks can't do that. What do they have to do? They probably need to find another way home. It's okay. You're not going to conquer every sin. Sometimes you got to flee from it. That's okay too. Okay? You have to flee from it. Like I said, I'm using alcoholism as an example, but it's a blank slate. Insert whatever sin you want to insert. Insert your besetting sin. We all have that besetting sin. That's hard for us to get over. It's all there. So maybe we can't stand up to it. Don't keep standing up to it and failing over and over and over and over again. Flee from it. If you've got a problem looking at stuff on your phone, then have your spouse check your phone for you. Flee from it. If you can't trust yourself to stand up to it, flee from it. Stay away from it that way. And the longer you stay away from it, the stronger you'll get against it. And then number four, the fourth task is for us to follow. To follow. 2 Timothy 2.22 But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I want you to listen as I reread those four things that a vessel of honor gets when they follow. Number one, they get righteousness. Righteousness is manward. It's manward. It's just doing the right thing. A vessel of honor will have righteousness. A vessel of honor, number two, will have faith. Faith is Godward. It's about God and his word and his ways. A vessel of honor will have faith. A vessel of honor will have charity. Charity is love and love is outward. Just as God from heaven loves all of us and doesn't want any of, is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He loves us. That's why he gave us, gave us, gave us his son. And as a vessel of honor, you will have that love for others. And then number four, a vessel of honor has peace. Peace is inward. And what does peace mean? Peace means The fight is over. God is on the throne in my heart and he reigns supreme. There are two types of vessels. Those that honor and those that dishonor. Which vessel are you this morning? If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be like a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. God has given me all the necessary resources that I need to clean myself up and be a vessel fit for his use. Two types of vessels. Which type are you? The test of the vessels. You don't know which type you are? Test yourself. You can become the right kind of vessel. And once you become that vessel, what's your task? 
What type of vessel are you this morning?